So we're talking about legacy today, right? This week you've heard a lot about legacy. Uh, The Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, after a 70-year reign, passed away. And if you're like me, you've seen uh, news clips and, you know, stuff come up on Facebook, on TV, different aspects highlighting the legacy that she left through just many years of service, for one thing. Um, Talked about September the 11th. You know, today is September the 11th, the legacy of that day and how it's changed our country. Senior Adult Day, you've heard about some of what our senior adults do. We're honoring the legacy that they have left uh, in this church, in their lives, in their families. Uh, Legacy is an important thing, and it's important to think about the type of legacy that I want to leave, right? The type of legacy that we should all want to leave, because the reality is you're leaving a legacy whether you're intentional about it or not. And so it's important to be intentional about how I live my life and the legacy that I I leave. I want to kind of start today. We're starting a new series today, um, and I want to start with a quiz, okay? Don't shout out the answers if you know them. Just think about it, and maybe turn your notes over on the back, write the names down if you know these people, okay? Don't say it if you do. You know, you can just nod your head and show, all right? Who was it that spoke to Dwight L. Moody in a shoe store, a conversation that led to his accepting Christ and ultimately leading more than a million people to Christ? Great evangelist. Who was it that spoke to him in a shoe store but ultimately led to him coming to Christ. I'll give you a hint. It was also his Sunday school teacher. Okay? Think about it. I'll give you the answer. Huh? It was Dan. (laughs) Dan is not that old, okay? All right? Dan knows it, though, I bet. Yeah. All right? Dan, do you know it? Okay. Say it. It's time for the answer. No. Edward Kimbrell was the man that spoke to him. All right, did anybody know that? I got a cheat sheet, so that's, you did or didn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here's another one. Somebody mentioned Billy Graham. Who was the elderly lady, one of many, but one who was known for praying for Billy Graham every day of her adult life, especially as his ministry reached its peak of worldwide significance? She prayed for him every day. Does anybody have an idea? I would not have known this had I not, you know, studied this. <laughs> huh? <laughs> she, hopefully, but no, that's not who we're talking about. Pearl Good. Pearl Good. She, she was known for that. Here's another one. Okay, does everybody know who Hudson Taylor was? China Inland Mission. Okay, who succeeded Hudson Taylor? And here's, here's the thing. He succeeded him, and he provided remarkable direction and vision for this ministry, for many, this mission for many, many years. We know Hudson Taylor. Do we know his successor? Dixon Edward Host. But that mission wouldn't have been what it is had it not been for that man as well. Okay, everybody knows who Charles Spurgeon is, right? One of the greatest preachers ever known. We, don't, we, we know, his, I've got his collection of sermons on my shelf. 
can't understand half of them because of the, Eng- the old English, but they're there. All right, I reference him from time to time. What was his wife's name? Does anybody know? Mrs. Snow, you got to use the first name. I see who we're dealing with, do you know? Does anybody know? Susanna Spurgeon. Good job, good job. But most of us didn't know that, right? All right, now think about this. These are people that we don't really think about. Many of us didn't know, but where would the church be today without those individuals? Where would, where would the kingdom be? I mean, God used all of those people just as much as he did Spurgeon himself or Dwight L. Moody or any of the great men and women of faith that we've seen. They left a legacy. They may be unknown to us, but they are not unknown in the kingdom of God. God knows their names, and they secured their legacy in his kingdom. Um, I want to think about it another way, okay? Let's personalize it. Let's, the teacher who's taught third grade Sunday school for years and years and years. I mean, think about the person who runs sound or the person who sets up for an event or cleans up after an event that makes sure that, that the stuff that's visible is able to be done. I mean, think about in practical everyday life, the nurse of the heart surgeon, the mechanic of the airline. Don't you hope they do their job correctly? I mean, the person who, I mean, you know, it it hits home a little bit, but, you know, the guy who scans the luggage in the airline. I mean, don't you hope they're paying attention, that they're doing their job? These are people we don't see necessarily that don't get a lot of notoriety unless we're frustrated with them because it's taken too long, which we shouldn't, but it happens. I mean, these are all folks behind the scenes that if they don't do their jobs, everybody's going to know. But if they do their jobs well, we may never know but we will see the results, and God certainly sees the results. And these are people that many folks would consider nobodies, unnamed, unknown, but in the kingdom of God, that's not the case. In Scripture, we see some nobodies who have a significant impact on the kingdom of God. And this series, this is our fall series. It's going to be several weeks, and we're going to look at some individuals throughout Scripture. Some of them you may not know. Or you may have heard of and you don't know anything about them. Some of them you will know, but we're going to talk about how God took them. They were nobodies too, okay? And how God took them and called them out and used them, sometimes despite themselves. Um, We're going to talk about how all of us can be used for God's kingdom. And this is the name of the series. It's called simply, uh, Leaving a Legacy, Making an Impact in Your World is the name of the series. We open up the series with an intro today talking about leaving the legacy, leaving a legacy in the Lord. But but our goal in this series is this. We Again, simple. Being faithful, leaving a legacy. You want to make an impact in your world, be faithful to what God's called you to do, and you will, as a result, leave a legacy for the Lord with what you do. And we're going to look this morning about characteristics of significant people. As we start this series, characteristics of significant people. Significant people are, first of all, people who are dedicated servants. People of significance, faithful, being faithful, they are dedicated servants. Without our realizing it, we're trained to think, when we think of significant people, what do we usually think of? Famous people. It could be an athlete, it could be a president, it could be um, 
uh, a well-known author or a celebrity of some sort, right? Uh, uh, it, it could be any number of people, high-profile, visible. And sometimes those people are incredibly significant. Sometimes they're just known because they're famous. And, you know, their lives themselves may not be that significant in, tor- in terms of the impact they're leaving. But most often, the people of greatest significance are the people that no one knows, the people that don't get notoriety, that aren't famous, that don't get recognized. We're going to look at some of those folks this morning to start our series. We're going to begin in 2 Samuel 23. We're going to walk through the last account, sort of the legacy, the last words of David in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel verses 1 and 2, and it's very significant what David chooses to do with his last words here. Verse 1, these are the last words of David, the declaration of David, son of Jesse, the declaration of the man raised on high, the one anointed by the God of Jacob. This is the most delightful of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. Now, King David, he came to the forefront most of us know he became famous when he killed Goliath. I mean, that, that's when he rose to fame in the nation of Israel, the kingdom. Um, and as a result of, of his successes, people saying, David, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. I mean, he na- made a name for himself as a warrior, a very good warrior, um, and being a man after God's own heart. Now, Saul... He was king at the time of the slaying of Goliath, and he remained king for more than a decade after that, after that event. And what started as an irritation for Saul, the the fame that David was getting turned into jealousy that was fueled by rage that ended up with Saul trying to have David killed. And so what happens is, is that David has to run for his life. And Saul attempting to wipe him out. We learn, though, that God has other plans for David. Look at verse 9 and 10 of 1 Chronicles, and we'll come back to 2 Samuel in a minute. David steadily grew more powerful, and the Lord of armies was with him. The following were the chief warriors, chief of David's warriors, who together with all of Israel strongly supported him in his reign to make him king according to the Lord's word about Israel. So what was God's plan for David? It wasn't for Saul to kill David. It was for David to ultimately become king. And during these years, though, while he's being hunted by Saul, he lives in the wilderness. He's sleeping in caves. He's eating off the land. All the while, though, he begins to attract Because of who he is, his heart, his love for the Lord, God has a plan for him. He begins to attract these warriors, these fighting men, hundreds of them, in fact. And when Saul finally dies, David takes the throne at the age of 30, and he reigns until he was 70. Now, near the end of his life, what we're picking up in in, in, uh, David, 1 Chronicles, I mean, excuse me, 2 Samuel, we're picking up at the end of his life, historians begin to chronicle what has happened to him. He's trying to, get, to record a history of, his, of the facts of his life, his, his important victories, all these things that marked uh, his, his career. And we would think that David would want to tell war stories, but instead what David does here is very interesting. What he does, this incredible warrior, a brilliant commander, 
a great administrator, a mighty leader who, yes, made mistakes, but a leader for the Lord, great legacy himself, instead of bragging about what he had done, and he had the facts to back it up, he gives the names of people who he considers to be the true heroes in his rise to power and what he had accomplished as king. At the beginning, David attracted a group of about 400 men, all right? And among them was what we could call uh, the original band of brothers, all right? You, you may be familiar with that series, uh, you know, the, the paratroopers, uh, the airborne division, the band of brothers. Well, these were the original band of brothers, okay? These guys, incredible warriors. I mean, this was an elite group of fighters. This was Medal of Valor type stuff here. And David wants to recognize them with his final words. Look back at verse 8 of 2 Samuel 23. These are the names of David's warriors. Joshua Bashabeth, the Tachmanite. He was chief of the officers. He wielded his spear. Now listen to what these guys did. He wielded his spear against 800 men that he killed at one time. After him, Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of the Aohite, was among the three warriors with David when they defied the Philistines. The men of Israel retreated in the place they had gathered for battle. But Eleazar stood his ground and attacked. Listen to this. He attacked the Philistines until his hand was so tired his sword was stuck. He had to have his hand pried off of his sword. That's how hard and how long he fought. His hand was stuck to his sword. Then the troops that the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Then the troops came back to him, but only to plunder the dead. After him was Shema, son of A.G., the Herorite. The Philistines had assembled in formation where there was a field full of lentils. The troops fled from the Philistines, but Shema took his stand in the middle of the field, defended it, and struck down the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Now, if we're not careful, it would be easy, really easy to overlook the heroism in these few verses. When we really look at what David is saying, he's saying, listen, I know y'all want to know about me. Everything I've done is spoken for itself. Let me tell you about the guys who made what I did possible. Let me tell you about what these guys did, because it is nothing short of miraculous what they were able to do. I mean, you think about it. I mean, killing 800 men, Joshua did. 800 men. Now, that would be difficult enough to do, doing it at once with a machine gun, okay? But this guy, he, he killed, I mean, he, he, even if he did it one at a time, okay, let's just look at this. He took 800 men, these are skilled fighting men, he killed them all with a sword. Even if he did it one man at a time, nonstop, it would have taken him more than 13 hours to do this. If that's if it was just one right after the other. I'm assuming it took a little longer than that with some of them, okay? This, with a sword, 800 men. And then Eleazar. Most of Israel's men were running scared, shivering in their foxholes. Eleazar attacked the Philistines, which, pretty rough group, state-of-the-art military at the time, iron weaponry. He stayed at it so long that the other shoulders had to pry his hand off of his sword. He had been fighting so long. Shema, I wouldn't classify him as a wimp either, all right? In the fight against these same Philistines, everybody ran. He stood his ground alone. 
I mean, these were brave, mighty, valiant warriors. David knew it. Three men, Joshua, Eleazar, Shema, tough, tenacious warriors, uncommon, skilled on the battlefield. And they were not only strong, they were fiercely loyal to David. Look at verse 15. David was extremely thirsty and said, If only someone would bring me water to drink from the well at the city gate of Bethlehem. So three of his men, three of his warriors, broke through the Philistine camp. This is how loyal they were. They break through the Philistine camp, drew water from the well at the gate of Bethlehem. They brought it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out to the Lord, saying, And David said, Lord, I will never do such a thing. Is this not the blood of men who risked their lives? So he refused to drink it. Such were the exploits of these three warriors. David's just saying, let me tell you what these guys did. Enough about me. Let me tell you. These are the guys that were really the foundation behind what we've been able to become as a country. I mean, yes, God is the foundation. He ordained it. He empowered them. But he's trying to honor those folks who were faithful to the Lord that nobody else was honoring. They didn't fight for David to get fame, wealth, or even a prominent position in his government. They served because they loved God and they loved him. They were loyal to David. I mean, so much so that he he says, you know what? I'd love to have a drink of water from my hometown right about now. So what do they do? They break through the enemy lines. They risk their lives to go get him a drink of water and bring it back. And he's so touched, he's so moved that he, I can't drink this. I can't drink this. They were devoted to one another, but they were devoted to God. And they were brought together by the Lord. Behind these three generals, we see two commanders, Abishai and Benai. Abishai was the brother of Joab. Now, Joab does get some some publicity. He would later become basically David's secretary of war, okay? I mean, he was was well known. But Abishai became famous for killing 300 enemy soldiers in one battle with a spear, not even a sword with a spear, which is a little harder, I would imagine. Okay, I'm not an expert with a spear. But he kills 300 men with a spear. But even tougher than Abishai was Benai. This is the guy that you want with you if you go down a dark alley at night, okay? Let me, let, let's look at what he did. Benai, son of Jehoiada, was the son of a brave man from Kabzil, a man of many exploits. Benai killed two sons of Errol of Moab, and he went down into a pit in a sto- snowy day, and he killed a lion. Nah, just killed a lion, right? Easy enough. He also, get this, he killed an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall even though the Egyptian had a spear in his hand like a weaver's beam. But I went down to him with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and then killed him with his own spear. Now, some of your versions will say that Benai had a club, making you think he actually had a weapon. No, he had a shepherd's staff, essentially. A skinny stick. So he goes up to this seven-and-a-half-foot Egyptian He doesn't even use his shepherd's staff. He snatches the spear away from this seven-and-a-half-foot Egyptian and kills him with it. Imagine the look on the guy's face after he's run through with his own spear. I mean, who does that? Who has the gall, the guts to do that? These are the type of guys that David had fighting for him and, and, and supporting him, holding him up. Without these guys, David doesn't do what he, did, what he did. The kingdom of Israel never becomes what it did. 
And David is honoring this. 2 Samuel 23 goes on to list 37 men in all. Joab is left out, though, but Joab gets his publicity. His relatives are mentioned. And this song, this song about faithful heroes, you know, David, when he's talking here, he chooses to focus on the lesser names. David's had praise, he's had success, he's had glory. And this is David's time to recognize the nobodies. The guys that no one else talks about. That don't seek glory, don't want it. They're fine behind the scenes. But he's like, no, my last words, I'm going out. I'm sharing what these guys have done. God kept his covenant with David by providing these servants, these dedicated men who fought for David, fought for the Lord. And the result of their dedication is that we learn that people of significance make a difference. Again, without These guys, there is no David. There is no kingdom. These guys made a difference. Didn't care if they received the credit. They did it to serve God and to serve David. Charles Swindoll talks about how this section of Scripture, 2 Samuel 23, reminds him of the rows of crosses at Normandy. The people there. That gave their lives. I've never been there myself. It's one of the things that I'd like to do before I die. But I've talked to people who have been there. And of course we've all seen pictures. Of those rows and rows and rows. Of crosses. In June 1944. During a three month battle of Normandy. Nearly 53,000 people gave their lives. Paid the ultimate price. To defeat Nazi tyranny. No fewer than 9,387 grave markers overlook Omaha Beach. All of those grave markers. They bear the names of men that you and I probably would not recognize if we heard them. But without these men, you and I are not here today doing what we're doing. They gave everything. They sacrificed. Most of them known only by their families. And friends, but each one of them made an impact. Every beneath each one of them, Swindoll talks about this, between each one of their markers, that marker is more than just a name and you know, branch of military and rank. It represents a person of significance, a person who left a legacy so that you and I could live like we live today and worship like we worship today. That's what David's doing here. Picture it that way. All of these names that he's listing, they're just markers. They represent more than a name, more than a rank. They represent a person of great significance. Why is that important? I mean, listen, you got to have a good, strong king. you got to have somebody who's able to lead, who's able to administrate, who's able to do all of the things that David was excellent at, but you also have to have followers who are dedicated and are willing to serve and willing to sacrifice. And that's what these guys did. He's drawing attention to these men because he understood the impact that a nobody can have, that an unknown person can have. And we see another great illustration of this in Acts. Acts chapter 23. 
The importance of doing what you are called to do, even if it seems insignificant. Let's look. We're going to read verses 12 through 23 together. All right. When it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So they're, they're wanting to take care of Paul, right? There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets here, or if he gets near, we are ready to kill him. Listen, to, pay attention to this. But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and he entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man, to, this is Paul's nephew, take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, What is it that you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they're going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they have killed him. Now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, Don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. He summoned two of his centurions and said, Get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 tonight. Now, another quiz or continuation. All right? What was the young boy's name? What was Paul's nephew's name? No. Nope. We don't know. We have no idea. Now, maybe there are theories, but we don't know for sure. But without that young nephew doing what he had to do, the epistles are not written. Paul's ministry stops right there. Now, I'm not discounting the sovereignty of God and God's ability to accomplish what he wants. But the fact is, God chose to use this little nobody to save Paul's life. And he would go on and write the letters to Timothy, Galatians, Ephesians. None of that would have existed if this young man had not done what he was asked to do. Risking his own life. He was a nobody. So I believe all of Scripture is intentional. I believe that his name is intentionally left out so that we learn a valuable lesson here. Regardless of what your job is, do it faithfully. Do it to the Lord, for the Lord, for his glory. And you have no idea how God's going to use that for his kingdom and for his glory. That's what these men that David is talking about did. They did what they were called to do, faithfully, with sacrifice, willing to give everything, to give their lives if necessary. And this leads us to a far, far often forgotten, too often forgotten truth. Success in the kingdom of God and in any local church depends upon the faithful people of whom the general public is completely unaware, that, that, that are behind the scenes, that don't want glory, don't care if they get recognition. They just want to serve the Lord, and they want to do their part for the kingdom of God. And that's the basis of this series, being faithful, whatever God's called you to do, and making an impact in your world, leaving a legacy in the kingdom of God, making a difference. 
for the world, for the gospel of Jesus, whether anybody sees it or not. Doing what God calls me to do because I know that if I do it, even if nobody else sees it, God will. He will honor it. He'll use it for his kingdom. And I will be faithful. And I will please him. And he'll use it in incredible ways. No matter what your role is, hear me, your role is vital for kingdom work. It is important for the kingdom of God. This is where we learn the truth that people of significance leave a legacy. People of significance leave a legacy, regardless of what their job is. Again, we've got those little tidbits. I love 2 Samuel 23. I love the story of Paul's nephew because, you know, we see that these, without that, no one would ever know about that story. It would have been forgotten. We don't even know his name, but we know what God used him to do because God had a greater plan. These men in 2 Samuel 23, we see how God used them. And nobodies is a term that I've used several times this morning. And, and the reality is, as we go through this series, we're going to talk about some people you may never have heard of. Some of you have been, who have been studying the Bible for a long time will know them, but they are lesser known figures in the Bible. Some of them are well known, like Abraham. I mean, we'll, talk about, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Abraham, we're going to talk about Cain, we're going to talk about Samuel. These are people that we've known, and I'm not trying to change the, the meaning of the term nobodies, but the reality is they were nobodies until God got a hold of them, and they were willing to submit to his will for their lives. And some of the stories may be a little lesser known, even in their lives. The reality is we're all nobodies. All right, and not you know, not trying to depress you. I'm not trying to make you feel insignificant. But in the grand scheme of things, from the perspective of heaven, I am nothing but a speck. But here's the deal: while in and of myself, I'm a nobody. I can't do anything on my own for the kingdom of God. God loved this speck enough to send His Son Jesus to die for me, so that I could be made significant by his power and strength he uses me despite all of my weaknesses he will use you regardless of who you are where you've come from what your past is what your strengths are what your weaknesses are because where he is weak where you're weak he will be strong and where you are strong he will strengthen you even more if you depend on him and submit to him god has a purpose in god's estimation you are significant and I'm not trying to build you up now. I'm not trying to give you a big ego, okay? So let's, have, let's find a middle ground here somewhere, all right? In God's estimation, you are significant. The question is this, are you going to be what you are? Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to submit to the Lord, be directed by His Spirit, strengthened and powered by His Spirit? You can't do it on your own, but you can make a huge impact for the kingdom of God. If you will fulfill his purpose for your life. And he has a purpose for your life. Really quickly. High impact people is what we're talking about. Regardless of fame or notoriety. High impact people. That's who we're talking about. Four quick characteristics of high impact people. A high impact person. Somebody who leaves a legacy. Has selfless devotion. They don't care about who gets credit. They just want to serve. And fulfill the role. Whatever that role is that God gives them. They are mission-focused, high-impact people. They focus on the right objectives, and they don't waste time pursuing things that don't matter, and that's harder than you think. 
especially in the context of a local church. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to get sidetracked. High-impact people also have a harmonious manner. High-impact people encourage harmony with others to achieve the greater good. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about his kingdom work, the greater good. And high-impact people also have a contagious joy. They inspire humility and unity in others, a combination that will translate into joy for those that are serving toward the same goal. So the question is this. Would you rather be significant on God's terms, his standard of measurement, or would you rather be famous? Because at the end of David's life, he said, let me tell you about the people that really made a difference and the people that most would have considered insignificant. Which is more important, the quality of your impact or the size of your impact? In human measurements. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at several people. Most are relatively unknown. Some you will know. But they all have one thing in common. They made an impact in their world. Because they allowed God to use them for his purposes. And they were faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. Now, I know this isn't that valuable nowadays, but I've got a dollar. All right? Who would want this? Don't, you know. Just a dollar, but who would want it if I, if I gave it away? Okay. All right. <laughs> My family definitely wants it. Y'all already going to get it anyway. What are you? All right. Okay, let's say, and I'm not going to, hopefully I'm not breaking the law here, but let's say I just tear this just a little bit, okay? If I tear it all the way, who would still want it? Okay. Why? Still valuable, even if it's torn, right? Okay, let's, all right. And this isn't a magic trick, okay? I can't do magic tricks after Jack Kelly, especially. No way. But okay, I'm going to fold it up. Fold it up pretty tight. Who would still want it? Why? It's still valuable, right? But it's torn, it's folded, it's a little, it was already a little bit worn, now it's even more so. Okay, let's take it to another level, all right? Wad it up. Who would still want it? Why? Same answer. <laughs> Still valuable, right? I mean, I could wad it up. I could, I don't, I'm not going to pour water everywhere. I could get it wet. I could spill coffee on it. I could, you know, I could drop food on it. I could do a lot of things. But as long as it's still here, it's still valuable. Now, here's the truth. And here's the picture I want you to get. Some of you feel this way, don't you? At least at some point in your life you have, I'm sure, if you live long enough. You feel like life has torn you up, folded you in half, wadded you up, and maybe even thrown you away because of what you've done or what somebody else did to you. And that's real, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and there's heartache, and there's, there's all sorts of reasons why you may feel this way. But just like I can go, uh, I'm not going to get much, maybe I have to put another dollar with it, I can go across the street and buy a pack of gum... With this dollar, because it's still valuable, even though you feel like you're not, you are significant and you are valuable to God. If you will give your life to, to him, if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We've talked about legacy today. The Queen of England, 9-11, all of our senior adults. You have people in your life that you think about who've left an impact on your life. 
And if they've left an impact on your life for the kingdom of God, it all began when the day came, the Holy Spirit brought them under conviction, and they said, I know I've done things wrong. I, I, I am this right now. My life is a mess. I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's glory. But I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins so that I could be saved. And I could be made whole again. Not just restored, but brand new in Jesus Christ. A new heart, a new life, and a future in serving you. It all began that moment they said yes to Jesus. You are important to God. Important enough that he was willing to give his son to die for your sins. The question is, the question is, will you receive him if you haven't already? as your Lord and Savior, so that you too can make an impact for his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we could never put into words accurately and and give it the credit, give you the credit due what you did for us in sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. We certainly didn't deserve it. We had chosen our path of sin. We had chosen to deny what you had given us and to choose our own way of doing things. We all have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But God, you in your love, before the foundation of the world, had worked out a way for us to be restored to right relationship with you after we had chosen to sin. In your grace and in your mercy, you provided the perfect sacrifice. You became man. Jesus, you lived amongst men. You experienced what we experienced, yet you did it without sin. And you gave your life, paying the price that we could not pay ourselves so that we could be saved and free from sin. And I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody here today or watching online that has not received, accepted you, received that gift that, that they would now, that they wouldn't resist any longer, but they would turn to you in repentance, turning from their sin, turning to you for forgiveness, and receive that wonderful, glorious, blessed gift of salvation that only you offer. For those of us who know you, Father, I pray that our desire would be to honor you and glorify you in everything that we do. And to do that simply by being faithful to what you've called us to do. Not envying somebody else's job. Not seeking glory for ourselves. But seeking glory for you by being faithful to the task that you've given us for your kingdom work. No matter how great or how small we think it is. But to serve faithfully with a heart It's motivated by our love for you and our desire to glorify your name. And whatever needs to happen during this time of decision, for us to get our hearts right, to get our hearts centered on you and focused on you, so that we can be those people of significance for your kingdom, Lord, I pray that we would do it now. Just lead us and speak to us so that we will respond in the way that you desire. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?